When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. In one of my favorite novels, Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut, which I discussed on the show last season, there's an image of a tombstone inscribed with the now famous phrase, everything was beautiful and nothing hurt. It feels like a concept straight out of an Instagram influencer's perfectly quaffed lifestyle, hovering on a side above a beige couch that doesn't have a speck of cat hair on it. Everything was beautiful and nothing hurt. The ultimate goal for some and not most of us. Greetings, Attic Wives, and welcome to Fuckboys of Literature. I'm your host, Emily Edwards. This is our last show for the month of March, which kind of accidentally turned into Dead and Dying Children Month here on the Old Book Podcast. I didn't mean for this to happen, but it's hard not to see a through line when you're discussing these books back to back to back. Maybe we're all just anxious, thrown into a violent era, desperate for a book to help us all make sense of the futility of man. And the book we're discussing today ain't really that. Maybe next week. We'll see. All right, everyone with me today is a voice you will remember from the end of last season. Lilla Lawson, how the hell are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me back. I'm so excited to talk to you because I really loved our conversation about The Crucible. I thought that was one of our best episodes yet. Oh, yay. (laughs) I am thrilled to talk to you about like a different religious dystopia, basically. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, I'm excited too. This was one of my favorite books when I was a preteen. And so I was excited to reread it and see if it still held up for me. So yeah, I'm I'm excited too. I know, because I was telling you just before we hit record that I have not read this book since I was in the seventh grade. And I'm like, this hits so different when you're 36 than when you're 12. (laughs) It really, really does. I was surprised at just how different it hit for me, actually. I I was kind of surprised by that. And you have the whole like series of books because Lois Lowry wrote four books sort of in the same sort of dystopic series. And I've never read the other three. Right. Um, I, I do have, I have like this really neat edition um, that's got all four in it. But to be honest, I know I've read the second one. I think I've read the third. I have not read the fourth. And I set out with the lofty goal that I would read all four before we recorded today. But then life happened and I, I did not yeah. do that. <laughs> so cool. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so heads up to everyone listening that we're probably going to focus on that first book because yeah. I've not read the other three. Life is also happening over here. Mm-hmm. Just as a heads up to everybody who's listening, this is the last show I'm recording before I move across the country. Wow. So I probably am not going to make a whole lot of sense. So we'll do our best. It is what it is. <laughs> Exactly. And hopefully we'll be entertaining because I really love talking to you. And this is such like a really bold book to choose for this show because it's 
banned, like left, right, and center. Everyone yeah. hates this book. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy to me. And it was it was controversial even back in, like I was looking it up and evidently it came out in 93. I would have thought maybe it was a couple of years before that, but... You know, I remember it being controversial back when I was 12, you know, and people just saying, yeah, oh, too. that book, you know, I don't know how I feel about that sort of thing, which is probably yeah. part of why I loved it so much because I was that kid, you know. Me too. <laughs> Did you? I had a printout of like the hundred most banned books in like middle schools and high schools, and I literally went through them like one by one. And yes. my mom was just kind of like, "Whatever, who cares? Like, you're a nerd." And it was, you know, and no one really batted an eye. But this one, I was like, "Why is it banned?" And right. I'm reading it as a grown ass adult, I'm like, "Oh, that's oh, why it's banned." <laughs> absolutely, yeah. And bless those parents that let kids like us do that. You know, bless them. Yeah. Absolutely. Because I was totally the same. Like books, anytime someone said a book was either banned or that was controversial or that it might be inappropriate, that's the first one I'm going for. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah, you know, this doesn't fall into the same usual dichotomy of like fuckboy of literature that we normally talk about, where it's like, you know, in The Crucible, we've got the guy who's like making superhuman mistakes and he's Mm -hmm. just kind of a putz. And uh, granted, it's in the confines of like this very strict religious, you know, situation that he's in. But this is just a full... very bizarre dystopia that I'd kind of forgotten all the rules of. Right. Just because people haven't read this since they were 12 like us. Can you give us like a really quick summary? Sure. Um, the book um, is, the main focus is on Jonas, who is a 12-year-old boy that is growing up in this community of people that value something that they refer to as sameness. Um, And basically, it's just a very uniform community of people who everything is very regimented and ritual based and routine where you have your your typical like nuclear family of mother, father, two children, one boy, one girl. Nobody Mm -hmm. is able or allowed to um, go away from that. Um, You're assigned your children. They're genetically engineered and then assigned to you. They're named by the community. They're given their roles. Everything from like how you wear your hair ribbons to when you get your bicycle is decided by the by a committee. Um, and there, you know, because of that reason, I mean, there's not a lot of happiness, but there's not really a lot of sadness either. And that's sort of by design. Um, right. Emotions are something they talk about, but it's in the abstract. They don't really seem to feel them. They just talk about them. Um, yeah. And as the book goes on, Jonas, because he's 12, he's about to be given his role in the community. That's something that happens to all the 12-year-olds at the ceremony. And basically things start to kind of go pear-shaped when Jonas is skipped over at the ceremony and then later finds out that he's been given this, what they call a huge honor, to be the receiver for the community, which is the person who holds the memories of the entire community. And as he starts to kind of learn what that role is about and learn some things that the rest of the community doesn't know, he starts to become kind of disenchanted with the entire situation. And that's basically what it's about. I love the fact that you use such an innocent phrase of go pear shaped. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, that's a way to describe it. I love it. 
Yeah. And it just tickled me to no end. I'm sorry I had to say something. I lived um, uh, in New Zealand for a while and their their version of that is uh, gone to custard, which I always thought was so adorable. Such an adorable way to say that things are fucked, you know? It's gone to custard. <laughs> oh, bloody hell. Horrible. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> that is. That is a perfect way of describing something that I feel like might be plucked from this book because yeah, yeah. you – you start off in this world where it's entirely unbelievable to me because I, I come from like a brash, like New York City family. Mm-hmm. And so like one thing that – it was making me giggle because like my husband's family is from Texas mm-hmm. and his dad doesn't like the fact that I talk in hyperbole. Like I – you know, I'm always just like, it was the biggest fish you've ever seen. Like that's just kind of how I was raised. <laughs> right. And so his dad is always like, I'm sure you've seen bigger fish, Emily. Oh. And that's – just like, you know, it, 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 so much of this book reminded me of that, of just mm-hmm. kind of like the society is so tightly reined and so constrained by the rules of decorum and the right. rules of how hu- of human interaction. And I couldn't help but feel that it is so comparable to how so many people are raised in America now. It's like, uh, you know, very strict gender roles, very strict rules of of behavior and decorum and things like that. And we're seeing all of this really come to a head now. And, 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 you know, we're really actively working on destroying it. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I feel like everybody should repick up the giver. (laughs) We need to talk about this some more. Yeah, there's like a dinner table scene in in the early part of the book where I think Jonas is either remembering it or it happens on the page. I can't remember, but he's talking about Mm -hmm. the use of the word starving to mean hungry. And he Mm -hmm. gets severely admonished for this. And they're like, no, you don't know what it means to starve. And while that's like technically true, they're just admonishing this 12-year-old for having feelings, really. That's what is actually happening. And it kind of reminds me of like, you know, this happened to all of us as children where it's like, you're not allowed to say, you know, or not finish your plate because there are starving children elsewhere or you can't feel this way because somebody else has it worse. And it's the same sort of thing, but just on a much more, like on a worse scale, I guess. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Like, you know, and I was having this discussion with a friend of mine who's got a 16-year-old daughter, and her she was saying that like her daughter has been having a really hard time with high school, especially during the pandemic and stuff like that, and she's been acting out a lot. But my friend had a really difficult childhood, and so she was just kind of like, "How do I stop myself from screaming at this kid? You don't know how good you have it because yeah. you never want to scream that at your kid." Right. And, you you know, this is so similar to that, but uh, like even without the parents and the giver having any idea of how good they have it, the the entire society of the giver never fully acknowledging or being aware of how air quotes good they've been engineered in order to be in a society. That's true. And it's like this collective gaslighting to use a buzzword. Um because yeah, yeah they're they're like, you don't know what it means to starve. And while that's technically true, neither do they. And also yeah. how's he supposed to understand why the use of that word is wrong when he has no frame of, of reference for it. There's no context given because they've gotten rid of all the memories of what it means to starve, you know? Exactly. It's, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the up. threshold of understanding of where starving starts exactly. changes if 
you know, it, 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 it's the perfect example of like, you know, developed nations versus developing nations where, right. you know, people have absolutely no concept of how bad things can be, uh, you know, when you see people on the internet complaining and they're like, how am I going to make men's eat? But and when I'm only making $250,000 a year and you're just like, right. shove it up where the sun don't shine. Shut yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh man, this book is a real revelation for, uh, I, I wonder, you know, cause 90, 1993 when it was released, um, to talk about something topical, uh, you know, it was right after the wall fell and I know uh, that you and yeah. I are about the same age. Mm -hmm. And so I have memories of all of that happening. Granted, I was really little, yeah. but I remember it happening and the, just the full scale, like, uh, American approach to being like, ah, the USSR, it's failing. Mm. <laughs> Capitalism wins. But also like the breadth of human and suffering that you're witnessing possibly yeah. for the first time and I wonder how much of this book was written sort of like with this monumental sea change sort of concept in mind because what happens yeah. at the end is really that that's true yeah I don't know I, I obviously I wasn't thinking about that sort of thing back then when I was reading this but yeah it's mm -hmm. it's very interesting um, I would be really curious to know what sort of thing she was going through at the time and, and what she was watching it you can't help but assume that that she was influenced by those events I mean it, it just seems like she would have had to have yeah because she's a this is a very conscientious and brave book for mm -hmm. for the both the time and also just YA literature at the time yeah. like the early 90s was still like I, not to discount her because I love her work, but it was still like Judy Bloom talking about like yeah. growing up and like your body's changing or like people are mean to you. And mm -hmm. this is like, what if there was an entire civilization built on eugenics? And it's like, holy crap, this is a bold thing to give teenagers. Yeah, she was. Um, I've read a few of her other works as well. Um, Number of the Stars, which I mean, that deals with the Holocaust. Yeah. Um, and then th she wrote a novel. I think it's called, I can't remember the exact title is it a summer to die or something like that that's about a terminally oh, yeah. ill teenager and mm -hmm. I know that's kind of a thing now but she was one of the first at least for that time period that I'm aware of and she was pushing the envelope back then for sure and the only like she was one of my favorite authors when I was about 12 13 um, mm -hmm, along with too. Avi, which I hope I'm saying that correctly, but Avi. I loved Avi. Yeah, me too. But he was even doing more like, he had a couple of kind of politically minded novels and stuff, but mainly he was doing like historical fiction and things like that. So yeah, mm -hmm. she was kind of unique there for a minute. Yeah. I mean, oh my gosh, I've forgotten that she had written Number of the Stars, which I definitely mm -hmm. also read maybe a couple of years before this one. So yep. that's why I recognized her name when it was assigned to me. And like, this is really just been, this feels like the sort of sea change YA, you know, piece of literature that really begets a lot of YA that's being written now, where you're just kind of like, let's treat kids like they are real people. And it's right. like, wow, what a concept. Yeah. And I kept thinking of the Hunger Games when I was rereading this, because I'm like, if The Giver had not existed, I wonder if the Hunger Games would have been as successful as it was. That's a really good question, because they yeah. are really comparable. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah I would have loved I, The Hunger Games at that age if it had come out back then. I would have absolutely been all over it. <laughs> 
I mean, I I plowed through the Hunger Games in my mm-hmm. late twenties when it yeah, came out, and I was like, "This is the most brilliant thing I've ever I read," know. and I still really love it. Oh yeah, um, like it's this kind of YA that, like, I, I have to admit, and anybody who listens to the show knows this, that like I don't love romance novels, mm-hmm. and as someone who couldn't catch a date to save her life when she was <laughs> in high school, like I don't really get YA romance because I'm yeah. always just like, who really has this serious of a love affair when they're like 15? But right. that's a me thing. But this, I'm like kids overthrowing an entire civilization yes this is believable <laughs> absolutely yeah i i feel you i was to say i've related more to like jonas than say you know some of the protagonists in judy bloom's novels well it depends on which one okay. but yeah like the ones that dealt with the teen romance yeah that wasn't me at all that wasn't my experience <laughs> i was like i still liked them but about my experience it was boring <laughs> as shit like yeah me too <laughs> same How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. (laughs) But like, I think the thing that probably really blew my mind more than anything upon this reread was just how willing the kids were to go along with rules. Like mm-hmm. you and I were literally just discussing about how like if someone said like, hey, that book is banned, like we would just like run and go and grab it and read it anyway. Oh, yeah. And I was surprised at how complacent the kids are in this. They are. Even Lily, the sister, it's kind of implied that she's supposed to be a little bit of a, you know, she's a little careless from time to time and that she's kind of a spitfire. But I mean, Mm -hmm. the most she ever does is let her hair ribbons come untied. And that's supposed to be indicative of her being a little bit of a rebel. Or Asher, uh, the best friend, is supposed to be kind of a a hot mess, I guess. But, I mean, he doesn't really do anything either other than just forget to put his bicycle away. So yeah, that's considered being, like, unruly in this world. That's really weird. I I I have to bring this up because like Asher is a really good example of it, and also uh, there's a lot of talk about wh- like the quote of like what's actually air quotes like wrong with Gabe, the little baby that, yeah. that needs extra nurturing, right? And 
I didn't mean to do this, but apparently my first month of uh, Fuckboys of Literature episodes for for this season is really just about like dying kids. And Mm. I didn't do this on purpose, (laughs) but it started with The Fault in Our Stars and I just Uh did a secret garden episode. Now we're talking about this. Right. And I feel like Lowry did a really good job of showing kids that might be um, like learning disabled or something along those lines uh, without being super ableist about it. Like Asher, he confuses words a lot or like he'll transpose letters and things like that. So he might have like dyslexia or or just like a reading comprehension issue or or a speech comprehension issue. They talk about Gabe's um, sort of delays and developmental delays. And she does a really good job um, until a certain point of being like, this is not something that is a flaw necessarily but the Mm -hmm. society thinks it is yeah yeah that's true and I didn't pick up on that when I was young either but rereading it um definitely I I picked up on that um well partially because I'm mom to you know someone who is on the spectrum um Mm -hmm. oh it was really bugging me the way that they treat Asher and some you know some of the other children too it just makes me think of that whole like the the I don't know, the authoritative, like, kind of indoctrination of children in school and the way they all, mm-hmm. like, my buzzword that I hate that always triggers me in school meetings is comply. When the teachers start oh. using that word comply, I just want to, like, get up and walk out, you know? But it's kind of like that with Asher. It's like, they're not overtly abusive to him, but they're going to get him in line one way or another. Um, and, yeah. yeah, it's so, it's it's hard to read, like, the way that they they go about trying to kind of like re-educate him and he's not even doing anything wrong, you know, but she is really good the way she writes about that for sure. I agree. Yeah. Like it's very clear for the fact that it is a like third person omniscient narrator. Like it is not someone who's in the world who's describing everything. And she does a really good job of making you feel the way they shame these children for Mm -hmm. things that they cannot help. And, you know, she, it's very clear that the narration is not both uh, like not condoning this or really putting a value judgment on it. It's very Mm -hmm. similar to just like, she does a very good job of presenting it and letting you draw your own conclusions um, in a way that a lot of science fiction can't doesn't do like you read a lot of stuff from by like Ray Bradbury and things like that and it just you know stomps feet and goes like this is wrong this is incorrect and she really delicately pulls at the narrative to let you draw the conclusion that like something is deeply fucked here oh yeah for sure yeah, I agree. And the use of her words in some some instances kind of made me feel that. that like in the, the scene where Jonas is waiting for his assignment and they pass him over and he's just getting mm-hmm. increasingly anxious. And then at the end when the speaker comes up and says, you know, we apologize to you, Jonas, we have caused you anguish. And then when she used that yeah. word, I was like, I was feeling anguish. Like I was feeling that for Jonas. So she's very good with her words. And which is, is funny because that's the very thing Asher is getting in trouble for <laughs> is not exactly. using his words accurately. But yeah, I love the way that she describes the way, you know, the, the feelings of the people in the community. I think my favorite, you know, part about that scene specifically is the fact that like they are so um, obsessed with manners and decorum. Yes. But because they have bred out the concept of emotion, mm-hmm. every single 
basically bit of apology is insincere. Yes. By the very nature of their society, they have no sincere thoughts, feelings, shame, emotion, or anything like that. And it's fascinating the way that she has deliberately made it. So apology is such a demanding aspect of their society, but none of the apologies are real. That's right. And also the injured party is it's assumed that you have to accept the apology like to the point where they have a a certain phrase they all say I think it's just I accept your apology and then that's the end of it there's no choice in the matter you have to accept an apology and that's like right out of the abuser's playbook right there absolutely Mm -hmm. I mean it's so it reminds me of when you know someone you know, like displays their ass on the internet and really shows how like racist and sexist and hateful they are. And then they're always like, my things were taken out of context. I'm sorry if I hurt you. And they really fully expect people to go, oh, that's okay that you've, you know, are a racist bigot. Like, Mm -hmm. it's okay that you hurt my feelings. And they expect it. People still do expect it. Yeah, it's like as long as you say the words, you know, meaning or no, like it, it doesn't matter if they're sincere as you have to accept the apology because they apologize. So that that really triggered me this read. You know, I didn't notice that yeah. at all as a youngster. But this time around, yeah. I was like, why do they have to accept the damn apology? Like if they don't <laughs> exactly. want to. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, like, think about, I mean, it's such a distinct difference, especially for some, I, I'm a cishet female. And the way we are conditioned as little girls to accept a certain amount of abuse, like I didn't even clock that. You know what I mean? When I was a kid, I was Uh just kind of like, yeah, you know, someone like is a shit to you in middle school and they apologize and you're just supposed to go, that's okay. And act like they didn't hurt your feelings. Exactly. And that's just such a really realistic part of, of being a 12 year old. It's just, man, there, I can't write YA cause like, I don't think like a kid and I just don't remember it really that mm-hmm. well, but the people who can, man, that's, that's tough emotions to pull into your life as a grown adult. Yeah, it really is. And all of that whole thing around the apologies it it really is like being back in middle school where you know there's a fight that breaks out in gym or something and the parents are all hauled into the principal's office and they're making both kids apologize to each other and they both have to accept it but nobody means it nothing's been resolved but it's on a much larger scale because it's the whole community that is having to live like this still yeah Oh, I'm just, I, I hadn't really digested that until we were talking about it. And now I'm just kind of like, man, what a miserable thing we do to little kids. Mm-hmm. That's just like more often than not, someone's in the wrong, especially when it's a pathetic like, middle school fight. Someone just decided to be an ass for a second. Why yeah. does everybody always have to accept the apology? Mm-hmm. And make everybody oh. be friends, even if they haven't worked through whatever reason, you know, that this happened in the yeah. first place. Yeah. Or even just making someone apologize for something, even if they're the one, you know, the person who genuinely did something wrong, they still need a minute to like talk with their parents or their counselor or whatever to figure out why they did the thing. And then you apologize, but it needs to be genuine, not just like a forced thing or that makes it even worse. Yeah. I mean, even down to the idea that you're always supposed to get along with everybody. I'm like, listen, 
I know I'm difficult to get along with. <laughs> like I am not meant to be in a place where everybody is supposed to like, you yeah. know, work together and things like I'm an abrasive human being. <laughs> like in that realistic like aspect of life, completely erased in the society like oh, this. For sure. Where everybody's supposed to be nice. Screw yeah. That. But at the same time, they're also not very nice because I think I forget which adult it is in the community, but they say something about Jonas's father, about how he was matched with his mother because he's not very bright and mom is very smart. And I was like, wow, that's mean. And this just said so matter of factly, like, it's okay. You know, he's just not smart, you know. (laughs) Or or the way um, Jonas's mother, who's basically a lawyer, Mm -hmm. she talks about the women who are assigned to be birth mothers who, you know, where she's just like, that's not a dignified thing. How could you like want that for your life? And it's like, oh my God, you're not supposed to be pulling rank like this. Uh That goes, I wrote that down actually, because that goes totally against the idea of their community and the sameness and everything is that she's got some clear judgment and bias against birth mothers and it's totally fine telling her children all about it. And it's like, but wait a minute now, everybody's supposed to have equal value here and you're not supposed to have those sorts of feelings, but clearly some things have slipped through the cracks. Yeah. I mean, there, it's a very deliberate way of Lowry showing of just like, you know, they, they've, eliminated race they've Mm -hmm. eliminated religion they've eliminated poverty you know and things like that and still it's human nature to to regrettably striate the people who live in a society it just seems to be innate to the way that people live yeah exactly like you can't some things are just human nature and you cannot you cannot get rid of them no matter what you do yeah. I mean, regrettably, I mean, the just, it's so complicated, you know, I, I, I'm faltering a little bit on, on how to like, you know, uh, segue to a different topic of conversation because, you know, the, the giver or when Jonas goes and to become the receiver of memories, he decides uh, with the previous receiver of memories to start calling him the giver of memories Mm -hmm. and then Jonas is the new receiver of memories and um when he's discussing sort of this with the giver and the giver is just kind of like yeah people used to be different colors you used to be able just to like look at someone and know they were different from you right and Jonas is like that's immediately terrible that's horrible that's the I'm like that's the joy of life actually well he even mentions when he's talking about hit one of his best friends um Fiona about her mm-hmm. hair seems to be dif- different. And the giver's like, yeah, you know, that really actually drives the scientists crazy because they've been trying to work out that kink for decades and we keep having these red-haired babies popping up and they hate it. <laughs> and Jonas is like, yeah. what? <laughs> There's blue eyes and red hair. Yeah. Oh my God, what are we going to do? The horror. <laughs> yeah, that's I, just crazy. I, I really struggled with the actual character of the giver. He yeah. really gave me a lot of issues uh-huh. because doing some maths, you realize he's actually like not as old as they depict on the cover. Like it's this yeah. like Methuselah looking guy on the cover. Uh-huh. And like by maths, he's probably like in his mid to late fifties, you yeah. know? So he's not the guy on the cover. And He's gone through a lot. Not only is he burdened with like the entire concept of human memory, but he's really burdened with the fact that, uh, spoiler alert for everybody, the book's 30 years old, like he's lost his daughter due to 
the society that we live in. And he hasn't thought really yet about how to burn it all down. And I'm like, that's unrealistic. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's had nothing but time to think. (laughs) But yeah. And a full and complete toolkit of like the only person who has emotions and the concept of like war. And friends, I've got links to all of Lilla's books and socials in the show notes. But as always, if you'd like to listen to the rest of this episode, please do join our Patreon at patreon.com slash fuckboysoflit. You'll get another full half hour of our discussion with Lilla Lawson, as well as back episodes from the rest of March and last season. It's a fun and fabulous good time that will only get more more filled now that I'm settled into my new house and not moving for a very, very long time. Fuckboys of Lit is made only possible by listeners like you, so I hope to see you on the Patreon soon. I'm Emily Edwards, and have a good one.